Welcome to the 11 Dubcast. I'm Johnny. He's Andy. We're back for another round of great summer frivolity. I don't know. I guess it's still technically spring, but it feels like summer because it's 80 degrees, which is for me just far too humid and gross and hot outside. I, it's This is now officially for me the summer. Um, we had a nice, you know, it snowed a little bit, right? Like, wasn't it supposed to snow a couple Fridays ago? Well, yeah. And... So, I mean, that was the thing that was really nutty about this spring. So we had like a week or maybe 10 days of real true spring weather. And then it went back to like third winter again. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> Should have stayed like in that. True Ohio fashion. And then we've had, you know, two weeks of rain every 38 minutes. So, so you know, not to totally derail the conversation, but I, I shared something with uh, with our colleagues on, on the 11 Warrior Slack channel yeah. that just kind of blew my mind. This, this popped up at a... Um, random factoid that columbus ohio is one of the 10 apparently cloudiest cities in the u.s and and the two cities immediately above columbus were seattle washington and anchorage alaska (laughs) and and i'm looking and this is based by the way in case you're wondering how you determine if a city's cloudy or not is annual hours of sunlight right i just don't think about columbus and seattle being all that similar climatologically and yet based on the annual hours of sunlight they're pretty much the same city and that just blows my mind yeah i so i actually knew about that and i didn't until a couple of i want to say a couple of years ago um and i looked that factoid up and i was kind of surprised by it and my um sister-in-law had moved um back to columbus from new york city and she commented on it when she moved back she was like i didn't i don't think i realized as an ohioan like you really don't see the sun for weeks at a time sometimes yeah uh, and then when you actually go to someplace else and they're like oh that's that's a shining giant ball of gas and fire in the sky that's interesting and then you see that every day to kind of get used to it and then you come back and you're like oh crap it's it's gone forever <laughs> Um, I don't mind it. I, so, some people don't really enjoy the the lack of sunshine, but I, I like the cloudy kind of overcast feel. I'm, I'm one of those guys. So it's fine with me. I, I enjoy it. I like that. I'd be happier it. this year if, you know, we'd had uh, four distinct seasons instead of just kind of flipping the switch from. <laughs> yeah. That's n- it's not difficult. from not winter to summer, you know, like <laughs> right. Yeah. A few Ohio, weeks of uh, 70 degree days wouldn't have been the end of the world. Yeah. Ohio and the Midwest at large seems to have trouble deciding on what it wants to do. And what's funny to me is that, you know, people always like say, oh, wait, just wait five minutes. The weather will change. That's the entire Midwest. That's really yeah. pretty much the entire like Great Lakes Midwest area where it's just like there's no telling what's going to be happening on any given week uh, until you get like pretty deep into the the season so anyway we're we're enjoying that we're still hunkering down a little bit um hot takes cold takes i had a hot take that i kind of teased a little bit last week and i want to dissect it a little bit i want to get your opinion on it andy and that was when we had the uh, the take counter take on the website and the discussion was centered around ohio stadium and i've been on record as saying i am not the biggest fan of ohio stadium uh, that's not the first time that I've said that on the site um, or on the radio, actually. I've I've done guest spots on 97.1 where I've talked about that exact same thing. And I just want to run down very quickly what some of my points are. I'll just do two or three here, just real quick. One, Ohio Stadium was built in 1922. Even with the shell and the, the renovations and accommodations, it's just simply not built for the modern sports fan. Um, it's just, it it isn't, it was built for a 1922 audience and that's pretty much what you are expected to be as a person when you walk in there Two, um, it just can't compete with more modern stadiums, uh, TCF bank stadium, uh, which is the Minnesota golden Gophers home field has about half the, uh, capacity, but three times the bathrooms, (laughs) which is just not, I mean, that's embarrassing, frankly, especially when like they're trying to make up that difference with portalettes and three, like the cost of the fan experience to actually go to a game in Ohio stadium is not commensurate with what you get uh, for a ticket. And and that's really a problem because either you drastically lower the ticket prices, which is not going to do, or you make the fan experience better. And I am leaning on the side of the latter. So those are my three main points. And I'm just curious, Andy, what you think about that 
position that I have taken. Well, yeah. So I have to give um, you know shout out to my man Remy who had the oh, yeah. the, the take to your counter take because it, you know if this if this was uh, you know ten rounds in, in the ring, you two boxing it out. I mean, he took the best shot up front, and that's for people who are diehard Ohio State born and bred Buckeye fans. You know, Ohio Stadium is is hallowed ground, right? Like sure. that is that is the Holy Mother Church of everything think about think about it this way we are such a football school that the fight song we play at basketball games and wrestling matches and every other sport that we're built around that we play at ohio state is built around the football team right right the exactly. whole 11 warriors <laughs> thing is football center so the cathedral right. that is ohio stadium is the most important uh, place in the universe now that's where you my friend ran into trouble is that all your points about what is not great about Ohio stadium are accurate and true and good. (laughs) And at the same time, you can't get around the unassailable fact that Ohio stadium is the center of the known universe when it comes to Buckeye football. So this is the, so this is the struggle, right? You, you made a very valid, good set of points that if, and this is where I think Ohio state is going to struggle in the coming years, particularly if, um, COVID-19 becomes an extended recession slash depression or, you know, so on the, the dollars that you as a consumer have to spend on an entertainment experience, you know, get rationed out in such a way that if you don't have a good experience at the shoe, because you had to go use one of the portalettes that you mentioned and, uh, you paid, you know, 300 bucks for a pair of tickets and you were, you know, two inches from the top of C deck uh, right. in the closed end of the shoe and for a noon game against who cares state you burned half of your face off right you, you know you don't have to sell me real hard that i can stay at home and have cold beer that i didn't pay 27 dollars a can for uh you know that, that that's not a hard sell so this is this is the problem right how do you balance and so the answer to me is something i've been saying about St. John Arena for a long time. Like I would love to see Ohio State pump some of its um, previous to COVID nineteen endless supplies of money into modernizing St. John Arena so that you maintain the the things we love about St. John and being this historic venue and fantastic, bat, but also making it a more modern, enjoyable, user friendly experience. Heck, you sold me Johnny when you gave <laughs> the, the the size of the seats. Yeah, uh, in the stadium, because I'm here to tell you, my ample backside is not made for about the 12 inches. It's it's almost worse than airline seats. It's literally I think go to a game in the shoe is what you get. I think. I yeah, think it's, it's not 15 or 16 inches, which is and, nothing. And so I will co-sign your thing that it is um, criminal that seat backs aren't included as part of the deal. But, uh, I, but that's my question, though. Like, how much how much do you actually have to renovate or add to Ohio stadium before it actually is, is worth it to, to keep it's, it's like the old ship, you know, it's the, it's the, it's the My ship, grandfather's uh, axe. Yeah. yeah. What, how many, how much, how much are you going to change and pull out of that stadium before it isn't really that stadium anymore? And my, my closing argument on that was look, it, People have enjoyed incredible, beautiful moments in Ohio Stadium. It has been a place of just awesome brilliance and amazing things, and I've been able to be there for many of them, and it's been awesome. But I haven't enjoyed that stuff because of the stadium. The stadium wasn't yeah. something where I was like, you know, I I just saw Braxton Miller, like, you know, pull off this insane comeback, and I'm so glad I was in B-deck for it. I, I never thought that. Like, I thought that. I was glad that I was there because of the team and the fans and all the other things, but the stadium itself didn't really enhance my enjoyment of anything all that much. Like I saw the one V two game, right? Storm the field afterwards. I wasn't thinking, Oh my gosh, I love this stadium. I was thinking, Oh my gosh, I love this team. I love these fans. And I guess what I'm saying is, is that to me, Ohio stadium. And I, like I said, I I've been there. I've, I've seen around 40 games in it. Ohio Stadium does not hold the same mystique that I think I would have if I were like a Boston Red Sox fan, right? Uh, who was going to like, you know, Fenway every time that I went and whatnot. Like, I don't, I think I would enjoy it. I think, you know, 
I would still love it if I went there all the time. Like I was still going to Ohio Stadium, you know, six times a, a year. But I don't think it would have that same mystique as it would if I were a fan of of one of those teams with those legendary stadiums that have been around forever. And I've been to Fenway Park, and and here's the other thing about Fenway Park: people don't realize if you haven't been there, it is an old ass stadium. That thing mm-hmm. was built, I think, in the 1910s. But that doesn't mean they let the fan experience stay the same as the 1910s. They have an entire concourse that's like a half a mile long with shops and bars and uh, gift shops and and like you know. Hall of Fame type stuff. Like they have all kinds of things for people to experience and have fun with and interact with as you walk into the stadium. High State has basically none of that. Um, it's it's you get in, you enjoy the game, you get out, but there's no, there aren't things to really keep you, you know, going back except for the the team itself. Which, if that's the case, why do they have to play in that stadium? So that's kind of my argument on that. You know, and the thing I'd find interesting, you know, if I were uh, Grand High Poobah facilities at, at Ohio State. Like, what what would it take? So they've they've spent I don't know. It felt like fifteen years figuring out how to get Wi Fi in the stadium. I, I'm right. still not sure if the Wi Fi is workable or not. I, I don't know uh, if that finally. I mean, when I went last time, it was fine. It was okay. it worked well. And and I remember when that you know when we first started talking about that in earnest, people were like, "Who cares?" And there's still I think a vocal contingent that that says if you can't put your phone away for, you know, a three and a half hour football game, you have a problem. And and let's just be real. That's not, you know, that's not a valid criticism. Like that's just, <laughs> just the way the world is, you know, you got to yeah. kind of get over that. Well, given the, but I, I've often wondered like, okay, team, I mean, come on. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And so you get, you sit there and think, okay, uh, problem number one. Let's so for me, it's the, the, the seats are small and, and I'm miserable when you actually have to sit in them. All right. Well, okay. So we, knock down um, the the number of seats and we reapportion space. Okay, well, what problem does that create? Well, it creates the problem that you already have um, extremely expensive football tickets relative to other entertainment options you might have. So you're limiting the supply. That means that logically prices have to go up. Well, what's one of the things we complain about? We complain about the fact that prices are too high. Well, how do you... How do you get prices to go down? Well, you got to increase supply. Well, we can't really increase supply of seats in the stadium, right? Uh, without cramming. So, I mean, I th- I think there's a bit of a uh, there's a bit of a Gordian knot I- involved in solving some of these problems with the stadium. And and my my question for you is, I don't know that a new stadium fixes some of those bigger problems. I.e., you still have a hundred thousand plus uh, fans who want to come and see almost every game every season at least up to present time and uh you know if you had a smaller more modern stadium like you you uh mentioned minnesota you right. know that the, the prices are only going to go up so like what's our two biggest complaints it's you know small small seats uncomfortable and and the prices are too high like these seem like irre- irreconcilable differences what i would argue is that i don't know that the demand is as high as we tend to think of as Ohio state fans, like, Oh, everybody wants to go to a game. That's not true. <laughs> we've had, we've had games in the past several years where you're looking at like realistically not, and I'm not talking about the announced attendance, but realistically yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. like 90,000, right? Yep. 85,000. That's good. That trend's going to continue. You're going to see probably the next two or three years. I've been saying this for a little bit, but I, I really think it might even happen in the coming year where you see empty seats for Michigan games. Mm-hmm. And people are going to be like, I can't believe that that should never happen. It's like, but it's going to because people don't want to pay that amount for that, even that experience. Look, if someone gave me free tickets to any Ohio State football game, I would I'd be like, okay, 75% chance I want to go to that, right? Like it doesn't even matter if they're playing a garbage team. I'm like, okay, I'll check that out. But if you're telling me I gotta pay a hundred dollars, right, to go see a, a game, like minimum, and and that's only the really bad ones, I'm gonna think twice. And I think people have started to make that determination and i guess what i'm saying is that i i agree with you that you're going to run into a chicken and egg situation where it's like okay well we reduce seats but that raises prices we can't just keep reducing prices because we need to get people you know like we need to actually make money and, and maintain our facilities but like i think long term you've got to think that it's not sustainable to have 105,000 people in a stadium in a football stadium every weekend i i just don't think that's something that's going to happen and either you rip all of the bleacher seats out and drop, you know, capacity by 15,000 and, and have actual like, you know, seating in there. 
um, or you do something else. And I don't know. I, I don't, again, to me, I'm thinking long-term. I, this is not a short-term solution. This is not something that, you know, I was like, okay, let's <laughs> tear down Ohio Stadium, have them in another, you know, 50,000 seat facility next season. Um, it's just something that I think long-term they're going to have to think about. And as Ohio Stadium approaches its 100th anniversary, they'll have a big celebration about it. They'll do like, you know, patches and, you know, celebrations, all kind of crap. And then I think they'll seriously start talking about what this looks like long-term because I just don't think it's sustainable. I, I just don't think you're going to have enough people who are willing to take those tickets to fill up those seats. So I don't, here's, you know. a, here, here's another thing I was thinking about as we've been talking about this, you know, what, what's our number one complaint? And I say ours, meaning as a fan base, not you and me specifically, but what's our number one complaint about the Schottenstein center? Well, it's, it's, it's just a giant cavern. It's not exciting. It's, it's just, I mean, it's a, it's a soulless husk of yeah corporate. We made this thing by committee. Right. So, right. you know, so that, that's my other concern. Like one of the, one of the things about Ohio state, at least with, you know, the age history tradition, you know, the rampant buckle Buckeye battle cry, you know, the ramp entrance, uh, you know, is, is, is Ohio state the best home field advantage um, in college football or not? Oh, you know, reasonable, People can can have differing opinions on that, but it has, you know, a character and so on and so forth that that, you know, if you had a, you know, TC Bank Stadium or whatever they call the the, the Minnesota one as the you know relevant example, does it does the attendee the fan experience make up for the lack of history, character, atmosphere, you know, so on and so forth? Because that's that's my concern when you go to a you know a new venue now. You know, as far as Ohio State's concerned, it's really interesting because their newest venue, um, you know, in Cavelli Center in a small competition venue, that was a godsend for the sports that that play in that. And they got that right. You know, it's a it's the newest building there and the atmosphere's uh, fantastic. Yeah. Oh, the shot, on the other hand, you know, it was the when it was the newest thing, like I think people realized right away this place is it's a tomb. <laughs> right. I don't know yeah, how you I, balance I mean, that modernizing and is there a good way to modernize the state? I, I don't think you're wrong that there will be uh, conversations to be had in the coming years about what's the stadium look like. I mean, we were undergrads when they did the facelift, right? Is that sure? Well, that was that actually ago, right, right before that was right before I came. Yeah. So, yeah, I was, I was an undergrad at that time. I'm a couple of years older than you, I think, if I remember that yeah. right. So, yeah, I mean, I remember when they were giving it the face and then taking out the stadium dorms and um, right. some of those kind of things. And, and <laughs> I do chuckle about your, I call it the facelift, but you're talking about putting the cladding on there. I mean, it's kind of like whatever they call that, you know, like if you were taking the Coliseum in Rome and you're like, yeah, let's, let's slap some prefab concrete on the outside of this thing. It'll be fine. That's what I'm saying though. Like, that's the other thing. Like people are like, this is the most amazing historical state, you know, stadium in America. You don't understand the grandeur. Like, okay, then maybe fix up the concrete on the face of it. Maybe like give it a facelift. So it doesn't look like garbage. And it doesn't look like you've got hunks of concrete that is stained and falling off the facade. Like, I don't get that. It's make it. I mean, look, the, I went on my honeymoon with my wife to Florence and Italy and all these other places. Yeah. How was we that? See the Duomo and we see like the Michelangelo's David. People don't let that just like fall to crap. Right. Like there are hunks of it falling off and people go, what can we do? It's, you know, it's, it's old. We can't touch it up. Like, no, they want to keep it looking nice. They constantly do, you know, refurbishments and, and all kinds of things. And I, I know there's probably like a lot of people say, well, that's not really necessary. Or maybe they're just trying to keep the facade that it was for the, you know, its designation as a historically um, relevant, you know, important landmark and all that kind of stuff, which I get, but like, I don't know, man, it again, is Ohio stadium bad? No, I am not saying that at all. You hate Ohio not, stadium. Yeah. I don't hate Ohio stadium. Bad. <laughs> I enjoy going there most of the time. Um, it is, I, I, it's still, but it's more about place. the experience of the game than I mean, I think that point's valid, right? You're, yeah. I will say That's the one part opinion. of the going to the stadium that I always miss uh, when, when we're at home watching on television is, is the ramp entrance with the band. I mean, I just think that part of it is, is hard to replicate. I get, I don't know what it is. I just get kind of jacked up when, um, the drum line comes out the tunnel and, yeah. and then, you know, the, the drum major comes through the lines and does the back bend. And when that plume Great. touches the, the, the turf and it just, Oh, makes my little heart go pitter pat. The other thing that happens to me every time I'm in that stadium is when we sing Carmen, Ohio, I always get choked up. I call that sappy schlocky, whatever it is, but I, 
it has never not happened that when we sing Carmen Ohio that I don't get a little lump in my throat and, and just a little misty eyed. I'm not sure why, but it's just, that's part of, for whatever reason, and then everybody's got their own, uh, you know, things that, uh, you know, get, get kind of stick in their memory or, or that's, but that's mine. And oh, for I, whatever no, reason. But so, Andy, I think uh, that's great. I just think that can happen anywhere. You know what I mean? Like there are yeah, a lot of stadiums yeah. have ramps, right? Like you can do Garmin, Ohio, wherever you want. <laughs> I guess, I guess what I'm saying, like, you know, I grew up going to Reds games at, uh, at Riverfront, right? Yeah, like Riverfront which, was great. Oh, I love that. I did too, but it was a garbage ass. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you're not wrong. Sucked. You're not wrong. And I remember when I was in high school, they built a great American ballpark. And I remember like walking in for the first time, like, oh yeah, we'll see. We'll see what this is like. And then I walk in, I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> this, this is fine. fine. This is Wait fine, actually. I remember looking around going, hmm, I didn't realize, didn't realize baseball parks could look like this. And, and I wonder, my, you know, if it's just been... different because it's professional versus college, like if there is there something about you know it being your alma mater that because people people took you to the woodshed in the comments uh, i don't think that surprised that's you fair. i mean you teased that a week that. ago yeah, uh, I don't uh, although i think you know we could do a whole episode on uh and you know i talked about this before uh with the the well in fact last week when we talked about my take counter take on um clemson versus michigan you know how much of our outrageous buckeye fans is performance art <laughs> but you know what sometimes real... it's beautiful performance art i can't get mad sometimes yeah, true when some of the comments and things i see are as funny as they are um i had somebody like crapping on me on uh twitter about me mentioning that i'm a teacher all the time and i was like oh do got me <laughs> like i can't like i can't be mad about that like that's funny <laughs> so i mean you know well played it's just i like i said it's it's i understand why people would react strongly to something like that because it is such a big deal and it people have like you said people have really strong emotional ties to ohio stadium and yes. that's completely valid i do not want to deny that at all that is 100 valid uh, you know, as somebody who had his formative years of some of the greatest moments of life in that stadium, I get it. Like, I totally get it, you know, but it, it's just for me, I'm looking, I'm thinking about the future and I just want to make sure that, you know, our experience as Ohio State fans is as good as it possibly can be. And for what you're paying, I don't know that you're getting that right now. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's it's an interesting debate. We'll see again. It's a fair we'll see take, my friend. A fair take. Yeah, we'll see what happens. We'll see how it moves forward in the future. I think you've got with Ohio Stadium maybe 10, 12 years, and then and that might be it. That within that time period, I think there's going to be some significant change. But we'll see. That's I mean, <laughs> calling my shot. I'm sure somebody will come back and say, Oh, on May 17th, 2020. And that'll be like, you know, my uh my magnum opus. I doubt it though. Uh, also, another couple of things that we want to talk about real quick. There was a uh, an estimation. We we talked about this on the site. There was an estimation uh, about the kind of revenue that major you know college football players could be making. Um, this was uh, a study that was done here, and basically they wanted to see like you know what could a guy like Justin Fields, for example, make on his social media channels, like his Instagram, his Twitter, things like that. They estimated that a guy like Justin Fields could make over 400 grand if they were allowed to, if, if players like him in college were allowed to like market off their own likeness. How do you feel about that? Is it, how does that sit with you? So first off, I mean, I think that's probably, you know, not, that's probably not all that far out there for a quarterback on, you know, a top 10 team and it wouldn't sure. have to be Ohio state, you know, Clemson, Alabama, you know, take your pick here. But the big brands, I think where people get in the weeds on this is thinking that that kind of money is going to be made by your average player at your average school. It's not. Right. It's okay. just can, like, I, can I ask you a second a follow-up question? Because yeah. that actually, because that is the exact thing that I wanted to have a very short discussion about. Openendorse.com uh, had a chart here about it. And so you've got Justin Fields about 400K, Garrett Wilson about 50K. I think people mm -hmm. would be like, okay, that guy's a future star. Chris Olave, yep. 44K, makes sense. Do you really think Master Teague could monetize his image for like seven grand? Yeah, uh, seven grand is not that much money. I mean, okay. in the grand scheme of things, I, that doesn't I mean that doesn't bother me about, at all. What, what I think is really, well, and so what I think is really interesting, and I think a lot of their algorithm 
uh, is based on, if you look at their, their Instagram and Twitter followers, what's the big difference between Justin Fields and Master Teague? 300,000 followers. That's, that's <laughs> right. the difference. You know, <laughs> Justin Fields got almost 400,000 followers on Instagram. That's, that's incredible. And so you're looking and saying, okay, he's going to, he's going to crack off 11 grand a post on Instagram. That's nutty. What I, what I think is really interesting about this data though, if you look and say, okay, your QB one is, is a $400,000 man, but Garrett Wilson is, is 50,000 bucks. So there's a huge drop off between QB one and wide receiver. Number one, you know, sure. let's, you know, that's that, I mean, that's a, that's a massive gap. So I mean, and that's where this gets really interesting and what, what concerns me about it. And, I, and I'm not saying we want to go backward. Cause I was, I was on board with saying these cats need to be able to monetize in some way. Um, you know, whether it's their you know, name, image, and likeness is what we're going with. You know, if endorsement deals are a thing, what I, what I hope you don't see is then this becomes an issue in the locker room, so to speak, where you've got, you know, the, the $400,000 man and then the little people. <laughs> so I don't know how right. these schools will manage that. You know, if there, and there's a lot of different, um, discussions about how you handle the actual money. Uh, you know, of course there's tax implications, I mean, there's a whole lot of implications about this. Of course, you, you know, Fields isn't going to be walking around with stacks of bills from that 400,000. You're going to pay half of that or more in taxes. So, you know, I mean, that, that's, that's a piece of the puzzle too, but, the the figures didn't surprise me all that much. What I think will be interesting longer term, because they're basing these values largely off social presence. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I read an article earlier this week, and I can't remember where I read it, or I would, I'd give them a shout out, but it made the claim that the influencer era is dead. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and some of that was COVID related, but you know, how, how sustainable go back to our, our discussion of what's sustainable long-term um, with Ohio stadium, how sustainable, long-term is, is somebody paying 11 grand for a sponsored post from a quarterback at Ohio state? You know, how, how many businesses in the current climate are, are up for doing that? I think what you, what you're more likely to see longer term is more the relationship with uh, Nike or whatever. And the other challenge with some of those is how those endorsement deals fit in with Ohio state's endorsement deal. So Ohio state's a cool school. Yeah. That's a I mean, really interesting question. What if like right. Adidas comes out? Well, <laughs> I mean, just deal. look at the, I mean, this has been a thing in the NFL for a while now, right? Because what mm-hmm. was it? The, the Bose is the official headset or the official headphones of the NFL. And I can't remember a year or two ago, uh, what player it was that was getting fined every week because he was wearing his beats by Dre right. uh, to the post-game press conference. And he can't do that, you know, because it's not the officially endorsed product. So, right. you know, I think you're moving into a space like that where, Hey guys, you can have your endorsement deals, but there are going to be some other ramifications. And I bet if you're an Ohio state um, partner company like Coca-Cola, Nike, insert other brand here, you know, that's going to be one of the things you're going to be having to talk about with your sponsor rep in the athletic department is, Hey, how, how are you protecting my investment? So here's, here's uh, what I'll say about that. Cause I, I, I agree that those are all complications that are both fascinating. And I think also inevitable when you open things up to it, mm-hmm. but I'll also say that when people say that that's a reason not to allow it, that'll be complicated. I think that's a really disingenuous argument because to me, it's not, there are all kinds of things that are complicated. There are all kinds of complications that come with, you know, any brand of any kind, including a ostensibly, you know, public university partnering with private institutions and promoting it on, you know, their various, you know, official Twitter feeds or whatever mm-hmm. at the games or whatnot. I think that in of itself is, is a crazy complication. Um, but for players to be entering into that, that's, that's by their own choice. And yes, mm-hmm. there will have to be a bunch of, you know, rules and regulations and things to be figured out. And then it's going to involve lawyers and agents and all that stuff, which oh, I think is inevitable at a certain point, but that to me is not a reason enough to not allow it to happen just because it'll be complicated or difficult. Um, I think if people are allowed to earn money and if any other student be allowed to earn money through their social media accounts, I think a, a student athlete should too. What I think, last thing I want to say about this, just real quick, that I I find really fascinating is not so much the idea that they would be making but tons of money, but the idea that players might be wanting to like protect that money as like collectivizing. You know what I mean? Like they, 
the idea of a, of of student athletes uh, unionizing, doing something mm-hmm. where they're like, you have to protect this from this other entity. And the reason why I thought about that is because, you know, I was thinking about uh, Texas Athletic Department posted this garbage tweet about barbecue <laughs> where they were like showing this and they, they put out and this is the university of texas right they put out this horrific plate of barbecue and then they have this like sponsored post where they're talking about how great this particular barbecue sauce is and i'm like how come that's not a, like nobody bats an eye at that aside putting aside the garbage plate of barbecue which is like literally i think it was like <laughs> turkey barbecue which i think is gross and then they had a couple of slices of brisket and then like the most sad looking side you've ever seen in your entire life but it looked like garbage but that aside nobody bats an eye when this giant huge organization making hundreds of millions of dollars right is endorsing a product all kinds of legal ramifications when it comes to like contracts and all this other stuff that's fine right like these massive deals worth millions of dollars totally fine nobody cares one student possibly making a couple of grand or 10 grand or even 30 grand that's a huge deal that we have to get all up in arms about it not mm-hmm. we don't care about the the implications of a public university making these hundred million dollar deals with you know sports companies but if this individual player decides to make you know that agreement then we get all up in arms about it and so that's why i think players are gonna look at that and go like we need to like protect each other and I will be really interested to see if what happened in Northwestern gets revived in some fashion at some place else, particularly at a place like Ohio State, even, which you you would think you would see more money, right, in that situation than at a Northwestern. Yeah, I mean, I think there's some validity to that and, and what that looks like. You know, I think the whole thing, one, you can you can for sure agree that the student athletes should be able to monetize their value in in some way um which i do and and also say you know this game is going to look really different in five years as this stuff shakes out because you can see things like where your question about some sort of collective bargaining comes into play is something like hey reviving the ncaa ncaa um football video game franchise right fans everywhere like let's bring that back in a heartbeat and and there's there were some good discussions a few weeks ago uh, online about that being a central problem is that, Hey, there's no single negotiating place like you have with the players union in the NFL to be able to go and say, Hey, here's what we're willing to pay, um, right. to be able to make this game happen, right. you know, that sort of thing. And of course fans are always like, Oh, those kids will be able to, they'll be more than willing to, uh, to, to sign off on that. Just so give them a free copy of the game. Well, you know what, <laughs> if you're the third string, you know, offensive tackle at, you know, Rutgers maybe you are but if you're the starting left tackle at Ohio State maybe you're not yeah you know, so that so that, so I think there's some stupid assumptions that happen there the other thing I think is kind of interesting to see how this you know plays out long term if if Justin Fields $400,000 valuation is largely based on his insanely large Instagram and Twitter followings how much does that jack up the already you know diva-esque nonsense of the recruiting game because you gotta think about oh, it all sure. of a sudden your social following you know really translates into dollars and cents in this brave new world so does that not incentivize you to jack up the drama and the the social media antics and to get as many fan bases in the world as possible following you on social media i mean stuff That's that drives us olds nuts already I mean, there's a real economic incentive to dial up the crazy on some of that now because, hey, when you are RB1 at a big school, you know, that that could turn out to be how your paycheck looks. Yeah. And look, hey, I'm I'm, look, I I want you to understand something. Tate Martell was a visionary. And and regardless, (laughs) no, I'm dead serious about this. Regardless, I'm laughing because you're right. Talent actually translated. He's a genius and he knows, I think he knew exactly what college football was going to look like in terms of, uh, you know, marketing yourself and, and trying to be an icon, all that stuff. And if he had actually been good at football, then I think possibly that we'd be talking about this guy as like the cutting edge of, of what a college student athlete should look like. Um, and it does, I think, require you to be willing to make a brand of yourself. One of the things that is really concerning about the current economic climate and the, this uh, COVID-19 craziness is the number of 
athletic departments that are jettisoning jettisoning um, non-revenue sports. Uh, Very true. Was, yeah. it, was it was it Akron last week that axed three or four of their programs? I think I think it was Akron. Yeah, BG um, just got rid of baseball. BG got rid of baseball. Cincinnati had already gotten rid of soccer. Yep. Um, you know, I think the first one I saw um, this year, this summer or spring season was um, Old Dominion getting rid of wrestling. And so it's, you know, it's percolating. Um, one of the things I think would be really interesting. So if these universities have to staff up in their compliance departments to deal with the issues relating to name, image and likeness. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the bigger schools like in Ohio State will absolutely bring on additional staff to, to help deal with that. Um, does that then, you know, driving up the cost of the football program, expenses related to the football program, make it more likely that schools jettison uh, non-revenue sports above whatever the NCAA required minimum is? I, I think I think those two things could absolutely be related. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I think you're right. I, I think that is definitely something that you're going to see where it's like, you know, the costs in general in, in college sports overall, I think, have been unsustainable for a long time, uh, in part because of the supremacy that football takes over everything in, mm-hmm. in terms of revenue, expenses, everything. And yeah, it's I, I agree with you. I think that's a significant issue and it sucks, but I don't know what the long term answer is because really I don't know how sustainable a lot of those sports were to begin with. If you have like continually falling revenues, and we talked about this right before in previous weeks, it's, it is something that has been teetering for a long time. And then, you know, a a crisis like this, a pandemic, and then the economic fallout, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt a lot of programs. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think it's a challenge, you know, because you look and, and people are like, well, okay, football's the only thing that makes money or basketball might also make money or at least pay for itself. But but the flip side of it, too, is, you know, 98% of the, that's not a real number, by the way, but, you know, 98% of the, expensive in the expenses in the athletic department are driven by the football program as well. I mean, you go through and you look at just, I mean, I think this is a reasonable example. Um, the, the fact that all of these P5 schools uh, have their teams stay in a very nice hotel the night before a home game, as an yeah. example, you know, right. like, okay. Is that a, is that a necessary expense? I mean, coach, co- you know, coach, coach says nothing good happens after 10 o'clock. Well, how do you make sure you make sure that on Friday night before a ball came, everybody's tucked in their beds. How do you make sure it's because you make them all sleep in the same hotel? You there know, you so, I mean, there's things like that, that I'm sure, you know, you can go through and it's easy to justify with football for those of us who are, you know, diehard football fans. You say, well, football drives in all this revenue. They should have a waterfall in the in, in right. the training facility. That's right. right. They need an $80 million renovation of their athletic center. That's only, you know, was only re- recently renovated 10 years ago or whatever right. it is. You know, that's right. Of, of course, we need a nine hole golf course inside that whatever it has, you know. That, so, <laughs> and, and so that's where I, I mean, I, I do have a trouble with if I were a fan of, because you look at like you said, baseball, bowling green, bowling greens had a pretty good number of, um, of pretty successful baseball players come through that program over yeah. the years. And I think if I were a fan of the BG Falcons baseball team, I might buy a trifle bit irked that my program got cut. But I don't know, too, if you're an athletic director, how you make those programs make money. I mean, there's only so many donor dollars to go around. Uh, So, you know, football derives the revenue because that's where most of the eyeballs are. So it's easy to say, well, okay, we're going to give you a sponsorship in Ohio Stadium because it's going to get seen by 100,000 people where you say, okay, how many people come out to watch the baseball game? Well, it's not 100,000. Yeah, it's not. Mm. Absolutely not. And, you know, look, (laughs) they they may very well have a lot of BG baseball fans, but if Oral Hershiser can't save that team, then I don't know. I don't know if Roger McDowell. (laughs) Right. Uh, then yeah, I don't, you know, I agree with you. It's, it's, it's interesting and it's kind of a brave new world and I don't know, there's just a lot of changes coming. And you uh, can, by the way, to, to say this, cause it can't be said enough. You can sure. simultaneously be worried about the repercussions of name, image, and likeness and say, it's the right thing to do for the kids. Yes. Well, I guess yeah. they're not kids. That's very much for saying that, but for these young athletes, both things can be true. Yeah. Very much agree. Um, last thing I want to talk about before we get to ask us anything, <laughs> uh, the basketball tournament is still, they're ramping up. It's set to begin on July 23rd, assuming nothing else happens or there's no change in, you know, or policy, all that kind of stuff. 
And you already know about, um, you know, Carmen's crew, right? The defending champions that unseated the undefeated defending champions. I can't remember the name of, but that was the one we're all rooting for, right? You got Jared yes. Solinger on the bench, Aaron Kraft, Lighty, Lauderdale, Ravenel, Diebler, Buford, winning the winning the, the huge prize, getting the money. Um, fun as hell. Loved it. It was great. Now we've got some more Ohio State alumni. It feels like half this tournament is basically going to be like Ohio State adjacent or, you know, alumnus players. But you've got the big X, which is the Wesson. Like you got Andre Wesson, you got Dockich, Keyshawn Woods, CJ Jackson. And now we've got the Great Lakes elite with really the truly elite players of uh, our Cam Williams. And then, of course, great friend of the program, Mark Loving. Um, who, I guess my question is, first of all, uh, before I ask this question, I want to point out Great Lakes Elite's logo, uh, has like this giant, like mountain for their thing. I'm not aware of too many mountains surrounding the Great Lakes, but it's like this giant, like Rocky Mountain thing. See, uh, I thought I thought because it's an it's, iceberg, uh, maybe that's what I thought. It was an iceberg. Okay. <laughs> because that's there's there's more of it below the, the, the line, yeah. so to speak, than there is above. But that also raises also the question where in the Great Lakes is the iceberg? Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's got a lot going on there. But I guess my well, question to you is Andy, who are you rooting for? Which of these three teams? Oh man. You- you know, I, well, number one, you just got to say with with loving coming onto the roster. I mean, the injection of energy that that team got just right there. Uh, I mean, dial it up to eleven. I yeah, well, don't the know. Pointed out, you got to get you got to get Trey McDonald. You got to get uh, Amir Williams on there, and this yes. pretty an unbeatable squad. Yes, about that. That'd be fantastic. I am I am one hundred percent a Carmen's Crew backer. Uh, they were they were a treat to watch. Uh, it's funny. I mean, looking at kind of, cause you're, you're <laughs> there's three different teams that are Ohio state centric teams. And to some extent, I mean, they're generational. So you look say, okay, Carmen's crew, you know, or the, the, the nucleus of some of the best Mata teams. Um, and, and then when you, you look at, uh, big X and, and iceberg elite, I mean, <laughs> so younger, the, the younger players. So there, there's a storyline to be had there, you know, over the, the elder statesman versus the the younger bucks, but no, Andy, I'm a Carmen's crew backer through and through. Do you ever see the the movie Multiplicity <laughs> with uh, Michael Keaton? Yeah, yes, but it has been oh okay. twenty years well, ago, a long time ago. Right, guy clones yeah, yeah. himself to like yes. help man family or whatever, and each successive yes. clone gets more and more ridiculous and and bad. That's how I feel about this, like <laughs> which is the original. And they're like the the best iteration of of who they are. And then you've yes. got the big X, which is like the second clone. And then you've got Great Lakes Elite, which is the one that's kind of falling apart, can't remember things, and is like barely functional as a human being. That's kind of how I feel. I feel like Michael Keaton multiplicity a little bit. Um, I'm rooting for the original, and I hope they keep winning because that was super dope last time. It was really cool to see. Yes, and I was I was actually invested in that. I was a little emotionally invested. So that's yeah. what you want out of something like that. I thought it was pretty cool. Absolutely. Um, it kind of it kind of bugs me. Like I back to our discussion of social media. Like I'm not sure how Carmen's crew has like 8,500 followers on Twitter. <laughs> like that. That kind of like because they've 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 got whoever's running their social account. Um, they they've had some pretty good digs at uh, these other not Carmen's crew, Ohio state alumni fueled teams. Yeah, no, I agree. Some, some entertaining Twitter follows. Yeah. People need to get on that. Cause that's, that's a lot of fun. I, I was a little, honestly, I was a little skeptical of the whole enterprise when it started, but uh, I think it's been a lot of fun. It's been really good. So, well, and yeah. it, you know, and it's a good reminder, like so when you see, Oh, let's say the NFL's extremely popular as a sport and every so many years, we attempt to recreate that in some way. So we have even more football and then invariably it fails. And, you know, so here, here's an example where you say, you know what, we need more basketball uh, in our lives. And and it's actually worked. Like it's, you know, I think the Elam ending was a smart choice. They just seem to have whoever, whoever's running this show have made by and large good choices in how to make it an entertaining product and something that you want to be their social strategy is pretty you know it's pretty engaging they've got people uh they've incentivized you to be involved and engaged and all that sort of thing but um 
yeah, it's neat. It was, and you got a little bit invested in it. Yeah. Not too much, you know. I, I don't I haven't bought a Carmen's Crew <laughs> T-shirt or anything before. like that, but but I was engaged in them winning and being successful, and that made me happy. Yeah, agree. All right, so uh, the Eleven Dubcast, by the way, is sponsored by the Dry Goods Store. You can uh, check out shirts, hats, stickers, all kind of great things at drygoods.elevenwarriors.com. Uh, also, if you want to ask us questions for Ask Us Anything, please do so by sending us a an email or a tweet to uh, dubcast at 11warriors.com, D-U-B-C-A-S-T at 11warriors.com, or hit us up on Twitter, as I said, at 11dubcast. This first question, this is from uh, James, from Jimmy. Uh, he basically wants to know if Michigan and Wisconsin had been switched, so UM in the West, Wisconsin in the East, uh, when the East and West Big Ten divisions were created, uh, how do you think the narratives surrounding those programs would be different today? What do you think? That's a that's a, that's a question actually that required that. There's so many ramifications to that, but it's it's a good question. I, yeah, I struggle I struggle with this for a few reasons. Because part of me says, ah, it's not going to be that different because Michigan's you know the the they're going to do fine in the West, same as, you know, they would have the same results in the West as Wisconsin did. I don't think, you know, one team was, was, you know, that much better than the other relative to how good the West is. Um, like Michigan certainly would have, would have been the team to come to um, the championship game out of the West. Uh, my, my questions, the first thing I immediately went to as well, you just assume that there would still be that protected crossover game Right. Uh, between Ohio State and Michigan. And if so, then how many of those years would Ohio State and Michigan play in back-to-back weekends or, you know, play the weekend before Thanksgiving and the first weekend of December, whatever it happens to be? Um, I don't know. That, that's it's kind of weird. Yeah. I mean, on one, I mean, on one hand, I mean, on one hand, you know, I think there's an argument to be made or what was an argument to be made that – Ohio State and Michigan going at it should be <laughs> for all the marbles, i.e. the, the Big Ten championship. Yes. On, on the other hand, um, you know, you never want there to be a year when Ohio State and Michigan don't play. So yeah. the only way to assure that's for them to be in the same division or to say they will always play as the protected crossover. And if they play twice in a season, who cares? Yeah. And that's, and I mean, I wouldn't, personally have a problem with that but i i think does that happen know, in any other conferences yeah i mean i think yeah you can see that i think sometimes in in other conferences like it, i mean it depends on which you know rivalries you choose to prioritize right like especially if you look at the sec like there's you know <laughs> rivalries all over the place and, and it depends on which one you care the most about but is alabama ever playing Auburn twice in a season as an example. I don't, they, so that. I don't think that would be the case. Or I'm trying to think what the example would be. Alabama playing Georgia twice in a season, I guess, maybe. I don't Yeah, they've done that. And I think they've done that. And that's, I mean, for them, I don't think that huge of a deal, honestly. Right, um, right. But but for us, like for, as Ohio State fans, they would have to play. I mean, you, you can't tell me there would be a year where those two teams would not play. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that would definitely happen. And, and I think, I don't know. I, I personally don't think it would be a huge deal frankly yeah, yeah. And, and back to the perception question i don't think it changed the perception of the two programs at all you don't think so no because what happens i mean play this through to its logical conclusion all right so wish michigan is in um michigan is in the west it wins the west every year that wisconsin did and maybe maybe even more years than what wisconsin did and what happens okay wisconsin or uh, michigan and ohio state play in indianapolis the big 10 championship game and ohio state wins every time because yeah. that's exactly what's happened over the past 20 years. Right. So, you know, and then flip that and say, okay, well, what about the perception of Wisconsin? Well, what's going to happen? Wisconsin is not going to win the East um, because it's going to continue to be, you know, sort of the, instead of it being Ohio state, Penn state, Michigan um, for the hegemony in the East, it's going to be Ohio state, Penn state, Wisconsin. Like that's not going right. to change. It's not going to change there. So they're going to continue to be sort of the also ran. I, I agree with that. I, I also think that if Michigan, I mean, how many times have they been in the Big Ten championship? Never. never. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's so. What I'm saying is like if Michigan, I I, th- I don't think it changes a lot. I mean, I guess is what I'm saying. I mean, I, I agree with the basic premise here that it, it's still Ohio State at the top, and mm-hmm. you know everyone else kind of looking up at them. Mm-hmm. But 
Michigan has taken, I think, a huge national perception hit because they have not really even had a shot to be in the college football playoff or anything. Yeah. If they win the Big Ten, if, if Michigan is able to win the Big Ten and the process beating teams like Penn State and Ohio State and Wisconsin, all that, I think that changes a lot in terms of how Michigan is perceived and how you know Jim Hartball is perceived as a coach. Um, but if you're always losing to Ohio State, I mean, I guess that it renders some of that moot because you know that's still the team that you can't you can't get over. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting to me because I feel like. If you if the Michigan game was still at the end of the season and Ohio State was still beating Michigan consistently, that like destroys their end of the season. Essentially, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter whether they're in the same division or they're in opposite divisions. If the Michigan game is still happening every season, but it's not the end of the season, and Ohio, and it's just like let's say Michigan goes Michigan goes like eleven and one or whatever, and that one loss to Ohio State was in October. Mm-hmm. Like, and let's say Ohio State loses two games, right, and they're not even in the Big Ten championship. And yeah. Michigan still gets into the Big Ten championship, which I think, I mean, that I think that's a plausible scenario, especially in past years. Um, yeah. What does that do for Michigan if they end up beating Wisconsin or whoever else in the, in the Big Ten championship and they end up going to the college football playoff? Like, to me, that changes a lot for Michigan. It just gives them more opportunities to maybe appear better as a program than they actually are. Yeah. So, again, that's that would be a very rare instance but I do think it gives them a little bit more street cred if they take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's, it's interesting to me. And it's a good question because that was something that definitely was like, that was debated about when we started this whole thing, right? When, when people were thinking about legends and leaders and all that crap. Oh yeah. <laughs> good time. Fun. That's right. They, people were seriously like, do we have, Ohio State and Michigan in the same division. And, and, and you know, this this goes, I'll, I guess, and maybe because I'm a marketing guy that, that I always go back to marketing matters. If they hadn't done such an abysmal job of marketing those divisions, we might still have those divisions, you know, like that. <laughs> but, but the whole legends and leaders things was such a, people yeah. are like, this is the dumbest thing ever. Uh, <laughs> they did not do well with that. No, it was dumb. It was super, yeah. super dumb. That was and the- and that's I mean that's what I don't know, that, that's what tanked those was just dumb branding. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, kind of kind of awkward too when they were like trying to tie them to like specific you know coaches and things. Yeah, it was that was rough. Um, so yeah, that's ask us anything. Keep sending us those questions, particularly in the off season. We love hearing them. We love answering them. Make them as weird as you want. I love answering weird, goofy, <laughs> crazy ass questions. Keep sending those in. Uh, we'll keep answering and we'll keep dissecting all of the you know questions coming up in college football and college sports. Uh, the NCAA has a, a really interesting vote coming up actually on Wednesday that we'll be sure to talk about yeah. next week. Um, so until then, I'm Johnny. I'm Andy. And we'll see you next week.